Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 138. This interview is with Bertrand Pecri, CEO and founder of the Global Editors Network, a non-profit association that brings together editors-in-chief and senior news executives from all platforms, be it print, digital, mobile or broadcast, around the common goal of defining the future of journalism. In this discussion, we discuss with Bertrand how media companies are evolving, the use of big data and virtual reality in media, and the viability of long-form journalism, amongst other topics. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue show. And today, piped in from the other side of sunny Paris, I have Bertrand Pecri, who I met thanks to my mutual friend, Jennifer Preston, who is now at the Knight Foundation. And uh, Bertrand, I, I wanted you on the show because... You are in a very particular place, really in touch and at the core of what's going on in the news media. And as we all know, news, the news media has been at the front line of this whole digital transformation. So you're currently the CEO of the Global Editors Network, and you previously worked at uh, the CEO World Media Network, which was run by the Liberation. You also worked at Vivendi. Uh, and uh, then you also ran the, you were director of the World Editors Forum for seven years. So you've got a really huge and wonderful experience of what's going on in this digital world. So Bertrand, fill me in on anything else that you're up to and what you're doing. And what is your mindset, as I like to ask my guests? My mindset uh, is that we are in the middle of the crisis and uh, it's a pity for a lot of media, but myself, I'm quite happy to be in the middle of this crisis because it is the most creative period of my life. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit cynical to say that uh, because people, they are losing their jobs, they are losing uh, positions, uh, readers are less and less. Um, but uh, in, the, in the same time, uh, it, it is really the, the best period for, for being creative and uh, Im- imagine new storytelling. I think the most important thing at the moment is inventing new storytelling methods. Would you say that in this crisis period, it was a necessary conversion that media is having to go through? Or do you think it's being forced on them and it, everything was fine before? <laughs> no, I, uh, I think journalists and editors are a bit lazy. It, it worked so well during two centuries, two centuries, not uh, 50 years, but two centuries that we became uh, lazy and we, we were used to have readers, we were used to find uh, uh, advertising. Uh, so everything going well until the last uh, 20 years. And, and we didn't care really about our readers. Um, so that's a, it, it is a good lesson. It's not the fault of the internet. It's not the fault of social media. It, it is just uh, we didn't change our methods, our way of thinking, 
since, uh, uh, maybe not since centuries, but since years and years. So it is the uh, outcome of this uh, laziness. Well, so listen, I, I mean, I hear you, of course. And, and, and on the one hand, we have this issue that journalists are there to provide a point of view to report, depending on if you want opinion or reportive, um, to report on what's going on. And, and have been trained in all these schools to drive the journalistic line and, and create great copy and be good writers or good photographers or whatever. And on the other side, reality is that they all need to have someone who's paying at the kiosk. So before we always had a separation between public publishing and editing. Do you feel that the that setup is what was archaic and created the laziness? Or where do you think the core of the problem is? No, take, uh, maybe it's a detail, but take the change of the name. At the moment, you have no longer uh, chief editors or editors-in-chief. You have chief content uh, officers, CFO, uh, the CCO, yeah, sure. chief content uh, officers. It, um, Jim Roberts was editor, uh, deputy editor-in-chief at New York Times, and at Mashable, today, he is chief content officer. What does it mean? It means that uh, we are blurring, blurring uh, the frontiers with the lines between uh, editorial and, uh, and advertising and revenue. Uh, and I think it's a, uh, it is good to take care about revenues, to take care about the business model, and, and editors were very far from, from, from that. So for uh, this specific issue, it is good to, to have someone taking care of revenues. On the other side, uh, with native advertising, with this change of title, you could see that more and more uh, publishers put the emphasis on the revenue side, mm -hmm. saying, uh, not saying we don't care about content, uh, but uh, revenue first. Revenues first. Uh, and it is the rule in many, many publishing houses. Uh, it is not the case at The Economist. It is not the case in some uh, very interesting newsrooms. But on the majority of newsrooms today, uh, they, abandoned, uh, the, uh, they are abandoning the editorial skills. They are, they are just, uh, it's a renouncement. And, and for me, it's, uh, it, it is very sad. Yeah, because they're going after the taglines to get the best search in Google. Yes, uh, Google uh, Google uh, search engines in general represent uh, between thirty and fifty percent of uh, um, uh, of the origin of um, of the readership of of the online readership. Maybe less, maybe less uh, since two thousand twelve, and uh, and really the 
explosion of uh, social media. Uh, right. Now, uh, search engines are, are, are less important. So, so the the fault is not uh, on uh, the fault is not on uh, um, search engines and, and and Google and Yahoo. It, it is just. Uh, people changing their habits. Mm -hmm. They they go where they consider they find a relevant information. So we don't own, we uh, editors or we publishers don't own anymore uh, the, the, the readers. One of the things that I, I like to parallel, Bertrand, is uh, when I'm working with my brands and companies, my clients, a lot of the times I'm working in luxury and, and luxury, I, I, I feel there's a real parallel between, let's say, traditional, well-respected media and luxury, which is that the creative director of luxury has a vision and, and is going to set the, set the taste. <clears throat> Just like a, a, a film critic is the person who's supposed to be the one who says, well, this film is good or bad. So a, a journalist is going out and writing his, his or her editorial line and is sort of a, has always been in luxury, independent of customer taste. And? <laughs> well, I just, and so the luxury folks are now having to think, oh my gosh, I have to listen to these clients? Why do I have to listen to what's being said blathering on in social media? And so that confrontation is happening very much in the luxury space. Yes, the parallel, uh, the parallel is okay for, for me. And uh, what we are discovering is, uh, is that there are new continents uh, for journalism. And, uh, and journalists here are a bit surprised. So I will uh, take the example of big data and data journalism. Uh, data, you have millions of sources, millions of information, uh, almost impossible to digest uh, without uh, the good software, without uh, the good processes. But data is, is a new continent for, for journalists. And at the moment, on, on Earth, how many data journalists do you have? You have maybe less than 5,000 uh, data journalists. It's, it's nothing. And in the next 10 years, you will have 100,000 data journalists. So we are uh, data journalists are just pioneers uh, because what are they doing? They are discovering data visualization, how to make it correct, how to make it relevant when you have millions of data. They are discovering uh, in a new form of investigative journalism. And we had that with Swiss Leaks uh, recently. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we are discovering also... So. I took this example of data journalism and big data, but crowd uh, crowdsourcing is, is another form of uh, of new form of journalism, and not yet accepted by traditional journalists. Mm. When everybody can have an opinion, when everybody can, uh, you can source, you can. Uh, 
make surveys, you can ask for uh, a specific investigation on uh, what you have in your kitchen, what you what you think about the weather, uh, and so on and so on. So uh, immediately, um, the traditional journalist considers uh, it, it is not relevant, it is stupid, but no, uh, people... Uh, they want to know, they want to share with other people what they are thinking, what, uh, why they care about this issue, their bicycle, their uh, car, their dog, uh, everything. So here uh, you discover new, new, fields, new fields of interest. So it, it is not geopolitics, it's not uh, ISIS, it's not uh, uh, Obama, but they care about that. And because they care, the readers, the users care about that, we need to consider it is relevant. Beautiful. I mean, and so re that that whole what you just said is so relevant for any company today. You know, find out what is relevant to your customer. So if we speak just if we keep on the topic of big data, how or crowdsourcing, how do you how best can companies, media companies, take advantage of these things? And and or should should I ask, how do you think you can convert the mindsets of the these more traditional? media companies uh, to take on board this stuff and, and convert their journalists and, and have them understand and accept these new continents, as you call them? Uh, I think the, there are two angles, two ways. Uh, first is hyper-local. Find the best data, the most relevant data about your environment. about uh, And for media... Hyperlocal data means uh, in this city, data on this city, data on this uh, neighborhood. Uh, so um, a new field is open if media companies uh, said it was impossible to cover before. Uh, really in the 90s, uh, beginning of the 20th century, it was impossible to cover this neighborhood. We didn't have data, and we just had one journalist. Today, they still have the, the, the journalist, and what is new, they have a lot of data about this neighborhood. So they can set up content, they can develop content based on hyper-local news. So... Uh, when a butcher, when you have a new butcher around the corner, is it an information? Is it news or not? Mm -hmm. Here, it is the talent of the journalist to transform something that is not news into news. So, really, uh, hyperlocal is um, the first angle of attack. We say that in French, angle d'attaque. So, angle of attack. The mm -hmm. second uh, uh, angle uh, would be uh, geopolitics and international news. So, not national news, not hyperlocal, but just international uh, data. 
And here, uh, the examples uh, we take at the beginning of our discussion, Swiss leagues, is, uh, is obvious that uh, when you have financial, a financial report, a financial scandal, even New York Times cannot do it by, by itself. It's impossible. Even the Economist, even Financial Times, you need to have a hundred journalists belonging to uh, 50 or 60 newsrooms working on Tunisia, working on France, working on uh, Mexico, working on, on the different countries, on the different data. And if you don't combine those talents, you fail. There is no way to be successful without international cooperation uh, for, for, for big data. It's totally impossible. Okay. And here I, I consider the uh, Center for Investigative Journalism is doing a great job in Washington. Uh, but you have also in Romania a center of investigative journalism. You have in, 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 small, in, in different countries this kind of organization. So uh, my answer is hyperlocal and uh, geopolitics. I wanted to pull out one thing you said, Bertrand, which I really liked, uh, and the, the spin... To, to quote a news reporter on it, which I love, is you're turning, you're, you want a great journalist is able to turn information into news. And the way I kind of read that is turn content into being something relevant. True. Uh, um, some data are really, uh, are really not relevant, uh, but when you aggregate uh, different data, they become uh, not only relevant, but they, 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 they become interesting and maybe uh, part of uh, uh, an investigative piece of, of journalism. So um, here you could have the best software, you could have the best uh, uh, devices, uh, the, the best algorithms, at one moment, you need the talent of a journalist saying, because I am aggregating those different data, I make things relevant. It's so true. So, Bertrand, you who have a, a view, and, you know, for having spoken to you a number of times around the world, and, and you see all the different media titles and how things are moving, who do you think are the, the media titles that are winning at this transformation towards the digital or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the wave, the digital wave. And, you know, can you give us uh, some ideas of who you think are, are doing well? If I follow this idea about hyperlocal, uh, I consider the new app of Le Parisien. They will launch a new hyperlocal app on uh, Paris neighborhoods on, uh, and the suburbs. Uh, in April, April 2015. And here they, they made uh, uh, not only an inquiry, but they made a, a test in the last 12 months. Uh, they could see what is needed by, uh, by the inhabitants. Uh, I think it was in Suresnes, in the west part of, of Paris, uh, this inquiry. 
So they totally changed the way uh, they produced content, uh, say, uh, changing uh, uh, what, uh, what is important, what is not important, changing uh, the timing. It's not the same thing at 8 in the morning than at uh, 2, 2 p.m. So th they really changed the way they produced information. And I'm waiting uh, this uh, new uh, app as something um, really uh, innovative. Uh, and at the moment, all hyper-local news websites were a failure. Uh, you could, you had uh, millions invested in, uh, in the U.S., on uh, hyperlocal news, uh, same thing in, in Germany, and it never worked. So there was a kind of mystery. Everybody speaking about hyperlocal and everybody failing. So uh, I consider um, this new app from Le Parisien um, must be checked and must be uh, so followed, followed. So it was my uh, first example. Mm. Any others? The, the second example uh, uh, is more traditional because uh, I love the strategy of the Guardian. Evidently, the, the first uh, think the first uh, approach is to say they are losing. 20 million uh, pounds per year. How can you say uh, they are successful? But their strategy, uh, uh, I consider their strategy is a good one for two reasons. First one is uh, the readership is one third, one third, one third. One third British, one third American, one third rest of the world. And they were 90% British 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. They totally changed uh, this approach. They are, the Guardian is a worldwide media as CNN. Uh, and it is very strange uh, for, for, for the Guardian uh, to, to become, a, 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 to have a worldwide audience and to be recognized uh, in, in, in Australia, as in India, as in the US, how it, it was possible. So uh, the potential is incredible. The second reason is for the Guardian, uh, Guardian strategy. So it's a very long-term strategy. It's not three years, five years. It's really 10 to 20 years. The second uh, reason why I am admirative is that through foundations, through institutions, they open first uh, Guardian US, then they opened uh, Guardian uh, Australia, and today they are thinking about uh, um, Guardian India, Guardian South uh, Africa. So they have understood that you cannot be a worldwide media without being local. Mm. And so they need, they don't need offices, they don't need, but they need real publications based in, in, the main, in the main countries. So 
for me, uh, it's a long-term strategy, and I consider it, it is a good one. Listening, Bertrand, to you and, and uh, thinking about the world of bloggers and and uh, the, the way people are consuming content online, of course, there's video and image. But if we look at text, I have a question for you about what do you believe is the future of long form online? It's a niche. It's a niche. Uh, uh, so um, I... Uh, Take the example of uh, Webits in Israel. The motto is to say, people no longer reading, we can transform every text in, in video. So the, the, they consider that text, text is dead. I'm not following this wave. I'm not surfing on, on this wave. Nevertheless, you have a startup who just uh, decided to create a content based on, on this assum assumption that uh, text is dead. And we have a, a visual culture. So whoa, 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 uh, comic strips, uh, uh, bande dessinée, uh, television, uh, uh, serials, so... so Everything today is based on a visual culture. Uh, and uh, so we will, uh, it's impossible to consider that uh, long form narrative uh, is more noble uh, than other forms of, of storytelling. So I'm not, it's a niche. And evidently, when you have a um, you will have uh, an audience for long-form storytelling, uh, long-form uh, text, but uh, it, it, it will be really um, a, a niche, a niche publications. Uh, no, no, uh, no, nothing more for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Wibbits because that was one of the uh, they won the award at, at NetExpo last year. So we're I'm, I'm following very closely what those guys are up to. Then, all right, so if we, we go away from long form and we go a little bit more modern, should we say, and talk about virtual reality, what role do you think virtual reality is going to play in the future of media? To find a place for, for news uh, within the virtual uh, reality world uh, will be difficult. Not impossible, but very difficult because... Uh, immediately you think about uh, gaming and movie and movie. So uh, what I can, what I understand today is that you have two schools. Uh, uh, one school uh, for me is represented by Noni de la Pena at you at uh, USA Annenberg. The second school by Karim Ben Khalifa at MIT. Uh, the first school is 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 really based on uh, on, on on the movie culture. Uh, take the example of um, Project Syria. Project Syria. Mm -hmm. uh, you move in a street of Alep, and suddenly you have a bomb. 
and and you are confronted to what happened with 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 the bomb people killed people injured and you have to save people you have to protect yourself so you are in the middle of a movie and it is the first form of virtual reality very close to to uh, a certain form of storytelling uh, um, on emotion take the second example i have seen uh, uh, called it is called the enemy it is done by Karim Ben Khalifa uh, a, a school uh, working at MIT and it is a confrontation between a Palestinian soldier and an Israeli soldier. You have a, an incredible economy of means. They are just speaking one in front of the other, and they are exchanging. But there, 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 there is no uh, there is no action. But the emotion is so strong because of this economy of means. It's pure virtual reality. Uh, nevertheless, you have a lot of emotion. And here it is very close to news because they provide information, they speak about, uh, the, about them, about their future, about uh, their kids, what, what they want to do with their family, uh, and then they exchange, they start to exchange the, the, the two soldiers. So... It is uh, uh, another form of uh, thinking the reality, thinking what is happening in, in, in the world. And for me, um, I don't see at the moment the business model of virtual reality, uh, but I, th I see the potential of emotion and of new forms of storytelling. Hmm. That got my mind worrying, Bertrand. <laughs> I can't wait to go check those out. Um, I'll put all that, of course, in the show notes uh, as soon as I find them. And then uh, last question for you, Bertrand. So you, you're running the Global Editors New Network, and you've got uh, coming up in June? No, in the, tell us about the, 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 the event in, in Barcelona and who's coming and, and what are the themes that you're going to be addressing. So um, the Gen Summit will be held in uh, Barcelona from 17th to 19th uh, June. Uh, the first day is always how to be forward thinking. Two years ago, it was about drone journalism. Last year, it was uh, robot journalism. This year, it is about wearables, mm -hmm. uh, news and wearables. What are, uh, how to integrate news in a connected, uh, in a Apple Watch, for instance, mm -hmm. or how to integrate news in, a, in Google Glass or other device other devices so again what is appearing is that news will represent five percent of the use of those devices not more so uh, news becoming very uh, a, a minority part a minor part of our uh, human activities uh, with those new devices. So that's, 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 that's I think, the, the most interesting uh, uh, aspect uh, of, of these uh, boot camps. It is the first day. The second day 
it's just 100% about mobile mobile news. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had two crises already. Uh, we had the internet crisis, so uh, how to read news on computers. Then we had the tablet crisis, and the people thinking that uh, tablets would solve the business issues of, of digital news. Not at all. And with mobile news, it, it's a it's a new it is a third crisis because you have no space for advertising. You have oh very few space for advertising, uh, people not clicking, not reading uh, mobile ads, uh, the prices uh, going down. It's, uh, it, it is really the, the, the third crisis and, and, and the most important crisis for news, for the news industry. Uh, you have more people, uh, but much less revenue. So, we will tackle this issue of mobile news. It is the future, but it is also a way to be buried. Uh, so, hmm. well, this is also a topic for everybody else. I mean, you know, we have fifty percent of our traffic coming through mobile, and uh, brands uh, alike also don't really haven't figured it out either. So, Bertrand, absolutely sensational, wonderful. Thanks for coming on the show. I I, I love the conversation. Um, tell us, uh, how can people uh, best follow you or, or connect with you? What's the best way? Uh, on, on the website, on, on, on the website, really, and on, uh, on our uh, tag, um, Twitter account, Gen Innovate. Mm -hmm. uh, J-E-N Innovate. So I'll put that in the show hashtag, notes. Yes, yes. No Gen worries. Innovate. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can follow our Hack Days. Uh, in the in the next weeks, we are going first to um, to Warsaw at Gazeta Viborsa, then we are going uh, to Istanbul, then we are going uh, to Paris at Le Parisien, um, and so uh, we are we are running hack days in major newsrooms every month. And people can follow what's going on via Twitter. Yes, uh, Twitter or, or live blogging or uh, globaleditorsnetwork.org. Super. All right, Bertrand, I'll put all of those into the show notes. Thanks for that. You can continue and have a merry day. Thank you, Minter. See you soon. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's painted fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self secure.
The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.